Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cpdn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our panel, Finding Inspiration. And I would like to introduce myself. I'm Sharon Skinner. I'm the author of, I think at this point, nine published novels, two, book, two collections of short stories, a picture book, and a few other assorted oddities. And I'm also a certified book coach, and I also write for across ages, categories. So I write picture books all the way up to adult, and I am the regional advisor for the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators here in Arizona. So if you write for children or want to write for children, come see me about that as well. And with that, I will pass that to my heart. All right, much shorter resume. Um, so I just published my first poetry manuscript. It's got poetry and, po and prose with Brick Cave Media. Um, who is also a Sharon's publisher. Um, just here to share, excited to share with you all, get to know everybody, and have a good time. I don't really know what else. I'm Kristen Marbeth. I also write as K.S. Marbeth. Um, I have five published science fiction novels, and my latest is the space opera, the Nova Vita Protocol Trilogy, which is about a family of smugglers trying to prevent their system's first interplanetary war. Um, the final book in the trilogy just came out last December, so it's finished. If you want to binge it or savor it, add your love. Uh, my name is John Horner Jacobs. I'm the author of, I think, 11 novels. Um, I always say, like, 12, 10, I never remember exactly, but um, uh, I'm a screenwriter, uh, and I've, my fiction has appeared in magazines like Southwest Review, Playboy Magazine, um, and um, I'm just happy to be here. I write mostly horror and uh, fantasy. Okay, excellent panel. We're missing a couple of people, but hopefully they'll show up and be able to participate. But in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and get started in honor of your time. Um, and we're going to be talking today about finding inspiration. Who would like to kick us off on our talk? Must be the moderator. <laughs> First one who talks. That's what keeps happening. I've been moderating. Go That's why it. I'm, you know, throwing the gauntlet over to my panelists. Well, here. I'll start. I think this is an interesting. Uh, I think it's a kind of funny uh, uh, panel topic because it is like one step away from the dreaded "Where do you get your ideas?" Um, Which we hear, especially at, when we go to school visits, right? Yeah. Where do you get your ideas? Like. And that's what that's what this is where you find inspiration. It's the same thing, um, which uh, is a really hard question because it's like an amalgam uh, amalgam of your interest or whatever. I mean, I tend to find uh, inspiration from reading uh, nonfiction and history because that 
that usually sparks um, some sort of like, what if, you know, and it's, it's a matter of saying, what if I took this thing and this thing and put it together? And usually that, you know, that is um, where I find my inspiration. Um, well, and it, you keyed in on something really specific, though. What if? Yeah. I mean, what if starts so many great stories, right? Kristen? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think mainly as a writer, I get the most inspiration from reading or consuming stories in general. It could be video games, movies, whatever it is. Um, and I try to be kind of an active reader or listener and think about, like, you know, if this really resonates with me, like, what is it about it? And often that kicks off the what if. It's like, okay, I love this, you know, summer camp, so what if it was horror? What if it was a magic summer camp from the perspective of the counselors? Whatever it is, you can kind of take the things you really love about a story and kick off your own idea. Yeah, absolutely. I think kind of piggybacking off that kind of what if question, I think that what if, I'm a really critical person, not only self-critical, but critical of things that I read and watch, and I think that's part of being an active participant in art is kind of being critical of it. Doesn't mean that we need to be judgmental of it, but being critical of art as we process it is, is I think part of being an active participant in the artistic process. But one of the things for me when I'm being critical is I often ask myself those what if questions as I'm going through art. So, I mean, two recent ones that have come up, um, I personally feel like um, zombie movies have gotten all zombies in the cold and wrong. Like whether they be supernatural, whether it be a virus, whether it be Whatever version of the zombie, whenever it enters the cold, it usually from there, I feel like everything, all the fiction for that just kind of falls apart. Um, I think there's a lot of space to explore there and kind of have fun while I'm going to bed. So that's one what if, you know, like what happens if we're, rather than being somewhere warm, where we always seem to be, like LA, we're in like, I don't know, rural Wisconsin. Like, how does that change things? Where everyone's armed to the teeth and it's freezing. Um, so, <laughs> you know, like, and winter is coming. And winter is coming. Like, what is a what is a frozen lake? How does crossing a frozen lake change the situation? You know, like those kinds of what ifs that come from criticism. Um, another example would be I just watched Hellraiser for the first time with my. Uh, well, I didn't see it for the first time. I showed it to her for the first time. Um, but there, when I'm watching that movie, I'm always not only critical of the special effects and like, oh, this would be, be done slightly differently now. Sometimes I'm appreciating that fact that they went practical and sometimes like with the weird scorpion face monster in the hallway, it's like I really wish they got a different direction. But, um, but there's also those story edits. Like for Hellraiser, I really wish the entire story was told through the perspective of the daughter as she's kind of uncovering her stepmother's cheating and finding evidence of the cheating and then finding out that the cheating is murder and then finding out that the murder is actually the celibites and then I wish the story had progressed down that direction. So that Spoiler alerts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, it's been out, it's been out for like <laughs> 30 years at this point. <laughs> but um, I, uh, those what ifs can kind of encourage us to write our own stories. Okay, and I want to jump off of something you just said because we've kind of moved along to the line of where I enter story, and I enter story through character. It's always the voices in my head. It's always these characters who get inside my head and get in my heart and bug me until I figure out what their stories are. I need to know the person I'm getting in the car with for this long road trip that I consider a book or a story, right? So it's all for me. It starts with character. Plot is always harder for me. The whole what if... I, I get that and I do that, but that piece of it is usually secondary to me until I, because I need to know who the characters are before I know what their journey is going to be and what the ultimate story uh, 
journey is for those characters and what kind of barriers I'm going to put up in front of them to make them work to become the people they need to be. So, and, I, and with that, I will also say that we all write, we all know the thing, write what you know. Right? Mm -hmm. And I had this conversation recently with someone who I said, yes, but I like to say write what you feel because we all know what we feel and we all access those emotions. So I may not know what it feels like to ride a dragon, but I think I know what it would feel like to ride a dragon, right? I may never have done it, but I know that I, I know what it would feel like for me. Right? It would be terrifying, it would be exciting, it would be all these things, but that's where I enter into it. And so I will say that a lot of my stories contain a ton of autobiographical and personal information. And so my inspiration comes from a lot of that, a lot of characters, people I've known in my life, and the stupid things I've done. I think this uh, panel is interesting because it has a presupposition baked in, which is, do you, uh, as a writer, do you require to be inspired? I don't. Are you inspired um, to write, though? You're inspired to, are you inspired to write? Uh, not, maybe not a specific thing. You're not looking for the muse, right? But you, you're a writer. Why are you a writer? Do you have your own why? Right, I mean, it's, you know, most writers become writers because they've had a formative reading experience in their life, and it changed them. Um, for, for, you know, hopefully for the better. But um, uh, my point is, I'm just, um, you know, I, I do think I'm, I'm just I'm just throwing that question out there. I do really have to be. Um, well, here, here it is. As as a writer, my relationship to my work is far longer than your like like as an audience, yours is. So you might read a book in a day, right? But it takes me anywhere from ten months to 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 a year to write a book. Um, and so my relationship to that work is is over a long period of time, and so I have to be uh, like I have to choose subjects that really do inspire me or or, or excite me that I want to write about because it's it's like it's a relationship I have. And then as a, if once it gets published, I also have the relationship to it of always having to talk about it. So um, it's something it's important I think that you are inspired, but you don't have to be. I know a lot of writers here are just like no, I am a I'm a worker. Like you can give me an assignment and I will write. I will, you know, I will bust it out. Like I've, I've written one um, synonymous book for hire that um, it was like about football, and I was not inspired to write it, but I did the job, and it was for like reluctant readers, you know, for kids. And um, you know, I, I just think it's an interesting question. You know, it, and it, um, it, it brings up you know thoughts about like, do you have to be inspired? Well, I. And going back to what I, that and, and what I asked you about why you write, I mean, um, there's a TED talk about knowing your why, and I'm very, very uh, involved in it's Simon Sinek, it's yeah, Know I've Your Why, and it's all about right. knowing why you do things. And, and for me, the writing of why is, it goes back to something else you said, was when I was a kid, books were my only friends. I was awkward, surprise, as a child. And uh, books were my only friends. The characters in the books were my only friends. That was my escape from the world, was, was books. My goal is to reach out and have readers have that experience with my books, that they find that solace or that, it's that encouragement or that support or that safe zone within the books that I'm writing, right? 
even if it's just for that moment of escape. And so I'm trying to, I want to reconnect to that through the other side of it, from the writing side of it. So I, I'm always inspired. Yes? Uh, yeah, the subject is super fascinating for me because I'm a ghostwriter. And so for me, the story is set. And so when I'm, when I'm exploring that idea of inspiration, for me, the, the interesting thing is figuring out how to, is the writing style, how to tell that person's story in their voice. I'm really curious as fiction writers, is that cross, is, is there inspiration in terms of the way that I'm going to tell the story, the writing style, the, 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 the storytelling aspect of it, um, that being a source of inspiration more so than, than the, the narrative or the plot? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, so I love uh, story mechanics mm -hmm. and like the ways in which stories are told. It started for me with Balto, which is like just super, super <laughs> arbitrary, but it has bookends on the ends of it. Um, so that's where it kind of started for me. Um, I, so I, I do enjoy that and like House of Leaves and things that kind of challenge the way that things are supposed to be written um, or the way that a book can be formed and that kind of thing. So that's kind of an area where I totally differ from Sharon. Like so a lot of times the structure that you choose will kind of force the characters and the narratives and the voices that you choose. So that's actually where I would go and go back to an answer that you said, where if you're talking about playing with forms, it's going to be really about exposing yourself to as many different forms as possible, right? Because if you're looking for different shapes for a story, you're only as familiar with as many shapes as you've seen. Otherwise, you're going to be trying to invent new shapes. And as a ghostwriter, I'm not entirely sure that's efficient. If every time you're trying to sit down to write a story, you're trying to find a unique shape to fit a particular narrative, yeah. it might be a little bit easier if you know you might have are more familiar with other narrative shapes than from exposing yourself to. Yeah, it's kind of like finding the writing style. Like this person speaks kind of like Hemingway, so I need to write just like Hemingway. Or this person has more of a narrative, like they're, they're more flowy. Yeah. So it's like finding the right design style more so than the right narrative structure to fit it in that makes it interesting. Like, oh, is, right yeah, is that a method of inspiration or would that be more a method of diagnosing? Would that be more like, more like a diagnosis I feel thing? like it's a, it's a diagnosis, but then it's also, I think of it kind of like being a cover band with the writing. Yeah. Like, I, need to, I need to be able to efficient, like effectively write in that style, but that's interesting to figure out how to... It sounds like you take your joy in puzzling out how to do that. Right, right. So you're coming at the writing as a ghostwriter from a slightly different direction than we are. You're still telling a really good story, although some of that is set forth for you. But your joy sounds like you're coming at it from figuring out how to tell it in the resonant way, in the right voice, right? right. And, and have it be compelling and engaging at the same time. Right, right. And so I'm curious if that's, that's exactly it. So I'm curious if that's part of the process. That, that, that you guys go through as well, that, that aspect of it. Particularly for things like a hero's journey, it's like, okay, this hero's journey has been told, that, that structure has been told over and over. What makes it interesting when you get beyond some of the patterns that are already there? Um, I think for me personally, in answering, in answering your question, um, I don't know if I take inspiration from other people's physical prose, like the way in which they write, like form a, an individual sentence, um, as much as I do try to avoid writing like certain authors, um, either because they may be too popular or because I really don't like the way they write. You know, so um, that is more often the case for me. I think that more be, that might was more common for me maybe in finding my voice, where I was 
trying to or sounding like other authors or trying to replicate patterns of other authors' speeches speech while I was still finding my voice. Um, but I think in poetry, because I'm a poet as well mainly, that kind of forces that process forces it out earlier. A lot of times through performance and things like that. Like if I write a poem like Bukowski and then I go perform it like Bukowski, it's going to be really obvious that I'm doing Bukowski, right. and it's going to be obvious earlier, and I'm going to have to address it. Um, so yeah, I guess that's how I deal with that, or that's how that kind of plays into my writing. Christy, I would say, um, you know, I, I haven't experienced ghostwriting, so I don't try to write like a particular author, but I do have something kind of similar where. I have to kind of find the character's voice and how how I want to tell the story from their perspective, which kind of goes back to what she said as well. She starts with character. I usually start with a world and like a plot bunny, but when I figure out the characters, when I feel like the story really starts to come together, like it's not just an idea, it's a story now and I know how to tell it. Yeah, I, I'm all about voice. Voice is like the thing for me in a really good book. And my voice, though, you know, you know, you, we've always been taught, oh, we hear that there's all these writer's rules, craft rules. And um, for, for me, one of the things I will say is process is personal. I should get a t-shirt made because I say it all the time to my writers. Process is personal. Uh, but when it comes to voice, we were taught Hemingway has a voice and, you know, <coughs> so-and-so has a voice and so is and, and we get it in our heads that our voice has to be a standout significant specific voice that's different than every other voice out there and that's not how it works for me every single one of my books has its own voice or series of books has its own voice and I think Kristen you were alluding to that uh, for your work as well uh, my characters drive the story and they that's whose voice I want the story to be in. And I will say that I think that for me, especially because I do write a lot of middle grade and YA, that that is in incredibly critical to being able to engage your readers and keep them engaged throughout the story. But I think that it's uh, valid for adult readers as well. And that's where I aim for when I'm looking at how to approach the writing it's still my writing, it's my sentence structure and all of that, but the voice of the story is what I want to come through. Yes? You might have a question, ask a question about um, something I think John said. I'm sorry, it's very small font. Can yeah, I, it's I, John. I'm doing my best. All right, um, <laughs> uh, so, so you said um, most writers want to write because uh, they had a good experience with their formative years. I think Sharon touched on with reading in their formative years. Sharon touched on her experience with reading in their formative years. Is that true of all of you? Is that is that a consistent statement on the panel? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't speak. I can't speak for my other. Sorry. I think. I think. Uh, I, more, more I think we paused because you asked the other one, one of us to speak for the other one, and neither of us wanted to do that. Um, that was what the hesitation. Expand more on that. Like, what was the experience in your formative years that made you want to? Uh, for me, it was the the, versati the versatility of the word. So I'm I'm a poet first. I'm I'm really into verse as well. So, you know, the versatility of verse and prose. I realized that I loved engaging with art. The one commonality in every single piece of art that I engaged with was the fact that it was written. Like at some point, it had to be written down in order for it to be understood. So that was that was my introduction to writing. So it wasn't may not have been as um, 
literal as somebody else who was like, this one book like really changed me. Um, it was more so that just the sheer volume of writing. And then I always came back to the writing of things. Like if I'm watching a movie, I'm concerned with how it's written. If I'm listening to music, I'm most concerned with the lyrics. If I'm engaging with art, I'm really intrigued when words pop up, like with the Basquiat or something like that. So I'm always coming back to writing regardless of which medium I'm engaging in. So that was kind of me. But so yes, there is that formative experience in writing, but it might, might not be as, you know, um, magazine answery, you know, or like, oh, I read The Hobbit in sixth grade and it changed my life. Um, Riddles in the Dark is cool though. <laughs> that had an effect. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, um, I would say that's true of me as well. And as, as she kind of touched on, I was a very awkward kid. I think that's very common for writers. I was, you know, really shy um, and socially anxious. And it started with books were kind of my escape. They were, were a way to kind of get away when the world was too much. And when I discovered writing, I found that that was also a, a way to express myself that I often struggled with out loud. So that's what really drew me to it. I am, um, I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. I come from a culture that uh, frowns upon boys reading. So I was very, um, like, you know, you're supposed to be in, in, interested in uh, hunting and fishing and playing sports and all these things that was expected of me. And I, and I thank every day for my, my dad because he was a different sort of man than all of his friends. And he, when I was a kid, he told me, like, he would, he, like we'd go driving, hunting and fishing, and then we'd be in the car, but he'd go, so let me, let me tell you the story of um, Homer Zillian. And he'd just sort of like say, like, tell the story to me verbally as best he could. And I'd, I'd like ask him questions or whatever. And then, um, you know, it, that got me into storytelling. And it got me into the, the written word. He, like, he gave me the book. He gave me like a kid's primer, you know, a little, um, that had a, you know, a bridge and a lot of pictures. And, um, and that, that's really what got me into reading. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I say this often, but it, it is a really defining thing for me is, you know, when you when you're a kid and you're reading and you're, um, you know, reading is a collaborative a collaborative effort. You know, you have to come to the table with something. Um, you know, you're you're interfacing with with the words of someone else, but you have to provide a lot to to that experience. <clears throat> and that's why it's a richer experience usually than being um, in, in my book than like watching television or something like that because that's just like information in. There's no there's no you're not coming. You know, there's no interaction with your mind uh, other than, I mean, there is, but, you know, reading is like, what someone puts that online, uh, it is looking at a piece of wood and hallucinating, right? And it's like, right, you have to, your, your mind is doing something and it's active. Um, anyway, uh, so I had that, like, as a, as a writer, you have this weird sort of thing where you have, like, you had an experience that, that was transformative in a book, like, you know, you couldn't put it down, right? You, you, um, you didn't want the story to end. And at some point, that's, that's an, you want that experience, it's like an addiction, you want that experience again and again, you're always looking for that hit in the book. And when you get that author, you read everything, right? <clears throat> and at some point, for me, it was like, it, it's part audacity to think that I can add my voice to this chorus of authors that came before and that my story is as good as theirs, or I, I should have a, I, I should be able to share my story just like them. But you've got to have, you know, it's, it's funny, you have to have this ego, a little bit of ego to, to attempt it, but then you have to be humble about, 
about it through the process. It's, it's a real, um, you know, uh, dislocated sort of, pro uh, you know, experience of being, of being a writer. Um, I'm always trying to fumble the, the, towards uh, uh, the exact definition of like what, what the, the life of a writer is and what the meaning of being a writer is, but usually it's just sort of adding your voice, I think, adding your voice to the chorus of writers who came before and trying to give someone the formative experience that you had that made you want to write. I was going to say, uh, you, you mentioned Bukowski earlier, and uh, the thing I really like about Bukowski is, you know, a lot of poets, they talk about, you know, the beauty of the daffodils and stuff like that. And he'll talk about, like, the grittiness, like, like having sex with a cheap hooker who's missing her teeth and stuff like that in a crappy neighborhood, you know? And I just always, I, I always just really enjoyed Bukowski, like, the grittiness of it, you know, how he kind of likes, he looks into the beauty of the dirty, you yeah. know? Oh, that brings me to a question that um, we should probably offer up some information on. John, what's kind of the gist of m most of what you write? Uh, what genre, and and is it gritty like Bukowski? Is it uh, more uplifting? Is it what? Are, you know, I, that's so interesting. You know, it, uh, horror. I write a lot of horror, and uh, you know, there's a movement. I write fantasy. That they tried to um, my fantasy series that came out in the UK first. Um, they tried to sort of pigeonhole me into the grim dark movement, which I, I'm, I'm not, I'm against that. I mean, I, I don't want to do that. Like I want at some point to offer hope, you know, for my characters, for my readers. It's real easy to get um, dark and nihilistic in horror. It's like, and I, I try not to do that unless, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with some sort of social issue that you really need to sort of slam something home. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, uh, Victor Laval, who's a great uh, horror writer, said once, um, I don't trust a book with no joy. And it's like anything that's unremittingly dark, I, I'm against. Like, I'm just, I don't want, want that. Like, even if it's a moment of, 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 of levity, a, a moment of laughter, a prattle, I mean, something that lightens up the mood, you need that sort of, it's like, it's like texture in food, right? Like you have something bland and all you know homogenous, and you know people want crunch. They want you. You need other experiences and everything for it to be more effective, in my opinion. Um, so I, mean, I hope I answered that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, I think uh, I think about my work very similarly. Actually, even though I write science fiction rather than horror, but um, my work is has been described as gritty, but I don't necessarily think of it that way. Um, I think about it more like hopeful stories and dark worlds is what I think of it Nice. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess mine would be dark stories, hopeless worlds. Um, <laughs> um, with light, light silver linings. Um, I think kind of like was saying over there, if we're thinking about it, like texture and food, um, you know, the Nestle Crunch Bar. Um, I think a lot of modern poetry has a tendency to really double down on, on the trauma and the, and the um, reliving all of that on stage. So <laughs> um, that's kind of a modern trend. I, I do think it's important to try to be humorous, especially when, like satire is really important and it's effective for a reason. Um, it's a little bit easier to take in, and so I try to do that a little bit in my book as well. Especially when I'm being critical of society, I try to be a little bit more humorous. And when I'm being critical of myself or something a bit 
more internal, then I tend to be a little bit darker. Um, I Personally, I just feel like I have a little bit more license to do that, and I don't need quite as much buy-in from the reader to be harsh in, internally as much as I do. I need a little bit more buy-in if I want to make a point and be harsh externally. And so the way that I do that is through satire and humor. So it's kind of a trick, but <laughs> not actually hopeful. It's just, <laughs> it's just the window dressing. And I write, um, I write science fiction, fantasy, paranormal, and a little steampunk, and um, it's interesting because in the la over the last few years, uh, as I was writing my novels, particularly I was writing a lot of um, middle grade and young adult stuff, and people started laughing when they were reading certain voice and certain things that I was writing, and I had never considered myself to be a comedic writer, and I still don't, but there is levity in a lot of my work, and but my my work is very layered, so you can read it as, uh, there are books of mine, you can just read them as an adventure at high level, have a good escape, have a good time. You can get a little deeper and start to get into, there's a lot more going on, and then I, I've actually um, had readers come up to me and, sit and start talking about all, all the layers that are in the work, uh, particularly in my trilogy, The Healer's Legacy, it has multiple, multiple layers to it, and some readers read very deeply, and I am a reader who reads very deeply and in layers, and I love good symbolism and metaphor and language and all of those things, and so, of course, that influences my work. But over the last four or five years, I've been writing these little snippets and little um, and bits of poetry and short story and flash fiction. And for some reason, all my shorts were coming out really dark, um, which is really interesting to me. And at first, I thought, well, maybe it's a palate cleanser, a you know, brain kind of palate cleanser. And then I realized, no, there, you know, I'm just a multifaceted person, and this is an aspect of who I am and and things I see in the world. I will say that there are. There are a couple of stories in here that have some humorous twists. I have two demons in here. I have two demon stories, and it's a couple of demons living in hell, and they're much like the odd couple, but demons in hell. And they're very entertaining, and I, I want to write more about them because I enjoyed them so much. And then I have a, a, a fairy tale that I think shows its true colors in here that's got a bit of a twist that I think people um, will appreciate, especially people who who are unicorn story fans, so. But yeah, my, when I, I I'm not, I, I would say some of this gets a little gritty, but I'm not graphic horror, I'm not graphic anything on the page like that's, that gets like that, um, but I like to write deep, if that makes sense. Yes? Um, uh, a couple of you mentioned like uh, comedy as well. I'm really curious, how do different art forms um, inform your writing or your writing process, like, like improv or music, or do those kind of play into, or even poetry? How does that play into what you bring into fiction? Well, I have a poetic background, too, so that's where I started was in poetry, and then I worked my way into short stories, and then when I got the the eight weeks in which I wrote my very first very bad, very bad novel was so exciting to me. I mean, there were moments when I was writing scenes where I got up and I paced the room and I got up and I ran around the room, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is so exciting, right? And I thought, oh God, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I just need to do this, I need the bigger stage, I need to be able to do more description, I need to get into my characters. And so I've been doing that since 
1995. I use other writers as mentor texts. I read much like uh, my co-panelists have mentioned, I read other writers to see how to, to maybe do things, but how not to do things, not because I want to copy their sentence structure at that level, it's not a macro level, uh, micro level, it's more at a macro level, it's how are they panning the camera in and out for to get a certain effect, it's how are they dropping in backstory that's so deftly that you don't realize you're in it till you're in it. It's the, the pieces of craft that I, I think are important, but I also study uh, and read to see how not to do things. So as you mentioned, if you see a book and you're reading it and you don't like it, then for me that's a red flag, don't write that, don't write like that, don't do whatever they did that threw me out of the story. I forgot what we were talking about. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take one. I'm um, so interesting. Yeah, um, I think a lot of, as a poet, the poetry affects the fiction in a lot of ways. Um, it makes me a little bit more granular about like each individual word and each individual line, I think. I think I get hung up quite a bit more. That's why it's taking me so long to do any fiction. That's why the short stories take so long. I get really hung up, probably in places that I shouldn't be hung up, it's kind of a waste of time. So sometimes it can, other forms can negatively inform what you're writing as well, but I think I find that a lot more informs my poetry personally than other art forms inform my fiction. What informs my fiction a lot are people that I meet, situations that I'm put in, um, nonfiction I think was mentioned earlier. Nonfiction is, informs my fiction more than anything else, because I can't reference um, like a car or a shape like I think I was mentioning shapes earlier. You can't reference those things if you don't know those things. So guidebooks, nonfiction, they can expose historical trends, reactions to different things that nation states tend to have as opposed to, as opposed to people. Um, but my poetry is a lot more informed by, I guess, other art forms outside of writing. So um, one example I think would, that would be good. Uh, you know uh, Frank Ocean Solo? Have you ever thought of the whistle in Solo? You know how there's a whistle in Solo? Um, did you notice that it's the second half of, you know, the, the common cat call, the, this, the whistle in Solo is just the first whistle. It's just, because the whole song is about how he's looking for someone to call to. So, like, those things can kind of inform opportunities that we might be missing in our own mediums, right? Like, what opportunities are we missing in um, descriptions of ourselves within the book? Like, like, we all put author descriptions in our book. What what instances of characterization for ourselves might we be missing when we put those things in, right? So there's there's opportunities. It informs missed opportunity a lot, you know. So yeah.
feel deeper and more natural. I, I would say that I'm heavily influenced by music in my writing. Um, I, was a, I, I was a musician to start with in my um, 20s and early, and all the way up until I was about 40, I was a regional touring musician. And the first, I think it was me writing songs and like playing them live and, and people would, like I'd see people who had seen me before singing along that gave me the confidence to write. Um, it, it sort of, it was like, I can create things that people are, are want, want and are engaging with. So it's not only inspired me like on this career path, but it, I tend to write about music quite a bit. In uh, Lush and Seething Hell, um, the second no short novel in it, is called My Heart Struck Sorrow. It's about a um, ethnomusicologist in the 30s who's looking for um, all the versions of the song. Um, it's a very famous song, a real song called Stagger Lee. And it's a, this particular ethnomusicologist is looking for the lost sort of infernal verses where after Stagger Lee has been put to death for uh, killing a man, he goes to hell and he kills the devil and takes the devil's place and like there's sort of like there's no recording of it but there is um you know it's been told it's been talked about and that's what the that's what the book's about and, and uh, i've been very lucky it, it seemed like people it's been an option for television it's like like people like like music is important in people's lives unlike uh, well i mean all art is important but Music tends to be a great uh, liberator of people, like uh, across all, 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 I mean, it's so immediate, right? Um, so it, people tend to uh, resonate with with my writing about music, and I, I can do it a little bit because I, I mean, I, I come from a, um, a history of, of, of doing it professionally, so I can write about it in a, in a way that's believable, uh, at least. So it's, it's heavily influenced. And, and I will say that um, I've used music, but I use it intentionally. So I have a paranormal ghost story in which there was one particular song that's referenced. And when I was writing the scenes for the ghost, because that's who the song is connected to, I would put that on a loop and play it over and over <clears throat> to set mood for that scene. But overall, I talk about I read very voraciously and very eclectically and very across things. I don't watch as much video as I used to, although it's, you know, there's storytelling is storytelling, right? But I'm heavily influenced by what I call filling the hopper. So it includes nonfiction, fiction, memoir, all of the things. I'm always trying to fill the hopper so that when I sit down to write a story, I, as much as possible, the story will come out very organically. Uh, I will say that with this book, this book was heavily influenced by reading a lot of retellings of, of stories and fairy tales and classics. And so this is actually a mashup of Peter Pan, Oliver Twist, and Steampunk. <laughs> and I had a ton of fun writing it. Uh, it, it was just a blast to do. Yes? If I can yeah. change the subject a little sure. bit and pivot on this idea of inspiration. Not so much as how you get into the writing as craft. What do you do with the muddled middle? You started off great and you know where you're going. What inspires you to keep moving through the story in that middle section where you have to tell money? <laughs> okay. Well, we're okay. That's going to come down to motivation and, and, and our whys, right? So, sure, go ahead now. 
Oh, or is that your? I was being glib. That's a good answer. You got to finish it. You're on deadline. Sometimes you're under contract and you're like, well, I just got to, I got to figure this shit out. You know. You know, I've been, you know, I, I've done everything to sort of try to learn the ways to, you know, plot a novel. Right. I've got cards like Fabula Deck. I've got, you know, I've written screenplays, so you have to do the three act structure. Uh, you know, I've done, I've outlined, I've done everything. I've, I've pantsed it. I've, you know, I've outlined heavily synopsized. I've tried everything, and every project is different, right? But in the end, I always go back to just um, what are those scenes in my brain? What, what are those scenes in my mind that, that I that sort of got me to write this? Um, and like, you know, when when you sort of close your eyes and just think about it, think about the story that you're trying to tell, and like the sort of the ideation of it um, I go back to those things that keep that keep sort of popping up and I make sure I'm always sort of coming back to those and like how I can how I can um, sort of play on a motif like when it comes to an image so I can I can vary it I can repeat the same image but in a different way in the book or, or something um, but that's the hard part like you said the process is personal that's the you know everyone everyone um, like <laughs> The funniest thing about being a writer is you finish your first novel and you write it and you're like, ah, I know how to write a novel. Until you write the next one. And then you have to figure out how to write that one all over again. Right? Um, it's, it's a, it, it is, you know, your process is what you're, you're always struggling to figure out. And it's always changing. But um, that's, that's sort of the real, you know, the, the real artist's journey. It's always, it's always a discussion and a relationship to your work, you know, um, uh, relation, your relationships will come and go unless you're very lucky, but your relationship to your, to your work is the one constant in your life for, for your whole of your life, which is important. So you have to sort of always be evaluating it. Um, at least I, I feel that way. But yeah, that's the hard part, getting through the middle. Yeah, before we do any new questions, can I piggyback on that? Sure. Um, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there was a screenwriting term I read once. I don't know, I don't know what screenwriting 101 class I heard it in like Lord knows but it was that the middle is supposed to be the promise of your premise and I think sometimes we think about that when we're drafting or we're plotting but we don't think about what that means as writers right so uh, for some reason Lost Boys comes to mind I don't know ADHD but the, the whole center of the Lost Boys they're just having fun right the whole middle of the movie is where you meet Edgar it's where you meet the Frog Brothers rather it's where they start hunting nothing truly significant happens in the middle of that film but it's when the most fun of that film is it's when the, the so you right got, you got the saxophone guy though that's big yeah the, sa the saxophone <laughs> yeah. guy is huge <laughs> although maybe that's part of the whole movie maybe right if there. we plotted it he might end up closer towards the beginning but he does get greasier as the film goes on so there's that but um, you know the, the middle of the book is I think where we as creators have and this is not even the book it, when you're in the middle that's when you have the least responsibility to the audience because they're now there for you You've either successfully done the introduction and you've pulled them into the work, and in the conclusion you need to be able to successfully lead them out of what you've created. So at the tail ends of the work, you have a responsibility to the audience to do your job correctly. In the middle is where we get to play. 
You know, it's where you get to go to a market for a chapter. Yeah. It's where you get to go to a sci-fi fantasy concert. It's where you get to, you know, maybe make a poor screenwriting decision and go to a casino where there's some kind of weird zebra in a den and a little kid looks up in the stars and he's like, I'm a Jedi, but I'm not a Jedi. So the middle of the movie is really where you get to do what you want to do as a filmmaker or a writer or a musician. Um, I feel like, at the, especially in a streaming era, in the beginning, you have a real responsibility to get people's attention. By the middle, you've already got it, so now you get to play. They're obviously interested in what you're doing if they're still there, and then by the end, you have a responsibility to lead them out correctly or to lead them into a sequel if you want to make money. And I want so. to jump off on that a little bit, too, because as a book coach... Please beat me up. Yeah. Beat you, me up, book coach. Me. You know beat me. You know me. Beat me up. <laughs> I, yes, you get to play, but play with a purpose. Yeah. Everything in that middle still has to have a reason to be there. Because if you just start going off on tangents or just throwing weird animals into the middle of your story. There are people who will throw that book at the wall. Trust me, I know at least one of them. So um, it, I, you still have to keep your reader engaged and you still have to give them a reason to want to be there. And if you're having just fun, it, is it translating into fun for the reader? Is is key, right? So that, what's that saying? No tears in the reader, writer, no tears in the reader. Uh, I think if you're joyfully pursuing it, yes, to a point, but it still has to carry its weight. It's still got to carry water. Every scene in your book's got to carry some kind of water, whether it's to uh, reveal additional character through conflict or whether it's to just drop a seed that you're going to then harvest later in the end. I think that middle is critically important for making sure a lot of things are at least layered in so that you do deliver on the premise of the premise, as you say. Yeah, yeah I stole that, by the way. That's not mine. I mean, it's also like the point, you know, it's the, you know the complication. It's, it's you know, it, it, the middle is where you make, you know, you have consequences for things. That's, I think that's important in a lot of fiction that people don't remember is that you know characters act and if they don't have consequences to the actions, it's just it's it's kind of like a story on rails, right? Um, so and it, it reveals more about the character when they have something go wrong. So usually the second act, like if you're, I I, I fight against the three act structure, but it's just so much easier to talk about with with it. But it's in the second act. If you're not, you know, having complications, you know, it, the payoff is less uh, at the end. Um, and I think, that, you know, I do think the three-act structure, because it is the lingua franca of, of like, writing now, and, and especially screenplay, you got to sort of know know the beats of, of the three-act structure to, to talk about it, even, even to reject it. <laughs> but, um, or to play with it, yeah. Well, and, and to, to what you were saying about um, the complications and the consequences, that's absolutely key to me for the way that I tell story, and, and I think for the, the stories I like to read, and it's the whole idea of action, reaction, consequence, uh, and then choice, right? So then there are, they have to make another choice. So there's they have to make another action, right? Choice or action. And so there's that three kind of circular thing where there's something happens and the character has to make, or it's a situation and the character has to make a choice and that has a consequence and it creates a situation and they have to make a choice or take an action and, and that circular, that, that kind of rolls the, the reader along through that middle and I think that's really important. I think we have oh, okay. questions? I thought it was really quickly, it's, it's funny hearing that because in memoir writing is the exact opposite, the middle is 
because the beginning is to introduce everybody and like get to know like their backstory, their background. The middle is just like in the memoir, it's just like, okay, what is their what is their plan or what are they trying to do? Like what's their work? What are they executing? And so anyway, I just thought it was kind of interesting thing that it's I kind of still do the fiction writing, but in fiction writing. Yeah, memoir is a completely different animal yeah, it's, in it's, some it's, many ways, yeah. really. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I keep like thinking back on this like metacriticism that John made at the beginning, like uh, inspiration is sufficient but not necessary for writing. Like you said, you get an assignment and you just do the assignment and you're okay with that. You get paid, I guess, but like if that was your job, would you find another job or would like? Because for me, it kind of makes sense. Because like when I was in school, I hated doing reading and writing, honestly. But like if I got a math problem, I was like, I'm good at this. I enjoy this. I'll do this. And like that was good, and then you end up getting rewarded. And in, in, in that point, it was like, for points or whatever, right? But like for you, is it rewarding to just do the assignment? Would that be sufficient for you as or, a career? Yeah. Well, I mean, it just depends on the money. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's the hard necessities of, of life. Is like you, got, you still got to earn. Um, and I'd rather be earning by you know, someone saying like, we want you to write. Like for example. If someone, if if an IP, a large IP, said we want you to write, um, you know, like an alien novel or a Star Wars, like I would prefer Star Wars, right? To, to write in that um, that sandbox, it, it would still be hard, and I wouldn't enjoy it as much as this because it's I don't own that. Like I, don't, I, I I'm only I'm a hired gun, and and they have tight deadlines, and it's it's really a craftsman job. Like you have to go learn all, you know, everything you need to know about writing in that world, and then you have to sort of bust it out, and they want you to do it in like three months, right? That's like the time, the, the turntable of, um, timetable, turntable, turnaround. Um, anyway, uh, so would I want to do that? Yes, I want to play in Star Wars, right? But would I get as much value from it personally, artistically, as writing my own books? Probably not. But I would love that opportunity, you, you know? Um, I'm not that guy. I write for the joy of it, and you know, and I'm not making as much money, I'm sure, as you are, uh, off my writing. But I don't want it to become painful. Yeah. I don't want it to become a thing that I do because I have to do it because of a paycheck. I, there's a there's a kidlet writer who was asked that question. You know, how do you write so many books? And she says, I just look at the refrigerator where I hang all my bills. And, you know, and then, right? Inspiration. And, and, that, and she's inspired, yeah. And that's great if, if you are the a person who takes joy in that or can do that without being crushed. I, I have a feeling that I might be a little, be, a little bit crushed by that. Well, well I'm having a day job. Sharon, how do you approach writing grant proposals? I get crushed, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I and write, it's your job. It's my job to write grant proposals. Why I don't do it on the side as a consultant. That's why I'm a book coach instead, because I, the joy that I get from coaching other writers to create these amazing stories and get them in the world is much more joyful. I could make a lot more money as a grants consultant on the side, but I would be crushed. I don't want to do that. So yeah. So. I, I always tell authors. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I always tell authors. Look, there's a great freedom to having a day job. It allows you to write exactly what you want to write. Right? And if you're starting out, like, like you know, people say disparagingly, like, keep your day good job, kid. But honestly, the day job allows you to write how you want, what you want, without the pressures of, of like, 
you know, I got, like, it takes away a lot of the pressures of, like, I got to have a book out every year, or two books, and, or, or, like, all these things. Like, having a day job takes all that pressure away from me. I mean, granted, I would love more time to write um, away from doing work. Um, and and it, it looks like in the future I might be able to, right? But, you know, I love the fact that I have a job that I like to do, that is, I get to be creative in the job, and it also allows me to write whatever the hell I want, right? Um, and that's that's a bonus. Also, one other thing I always dovetail on that is your first novel that you write is the one that you, is really, your debut novel is, tends to be the one that makes your name, right? You get more attention, you get more attention for a day, but every debut author gets far more attention than anyone else. Uh, you know, they take up all oxygen in the room, and it's the one book you can work on as long as you want and get it just absolutely as perfect as possible. And um, so while you're working on your first book, do that. Like, make it the book you want it to be because that's the one that's going to get the most attention for you. I still, like, I can barely read my first book because it was very pulpy. You know, and I was learning how to write a book. I, I wrote my first novel and it got published. And I feel like, like my learning curve is just all out there for the world to see, right? And I wish I had taken more time with it now. You know, I wish I had, I mean, it's done a lot for me, but, you know, I wish it was a better book. I mean, it was nominated for awards and all that stuff, but for me, I still wish it was a better book. We, we only have four more minutes. Kristen, did you want to weigh in? Marcus, did you want to weigh in on that before we take the last question? I think I would say I'm somewhere in between you two where I view writing like it is a job, but I also love it. Like it's, it's the best job I've ever had, but also no matter how inspired I am, no matter how much I love the idea, at some point it's going to feel like you work to get it done, especially if you're on a deadline. So I think it's about finding that balance between the joy and being able to produce stuff and make some money. I think I'm a little bit more like a, uh, I think it's interesting we have four people, four slightly different perspectives on, on your question. Um, I'm a little bit more like a stand-up comic. Um, I also have a day job. Uh, it is really heavily creative. I write pretty much all day. I do social media, podcast editing, video editing, that kind of thing. So I get to be largely creative. I work within a lot of the same confines that like a ghostwriter would or a copywriter would or anything like that. Um, but I'm, I'm much like a stand-up comic in that I don't think I could very effectively do anything else. Like if I had to sit down for eight hours and do anything else, I'd be kind of screwed. So I, I kind of was able to find a corner where I'm able to operate efficiently. You know, before I was in the field that I'm in now, um, I was a journalist for a little while. So I've kind of angled myself towards this career path of, you know, being a writer, generic writer for anything. Um, but also, I couldn't write poetry if I didn't have a day job. Poetry will not pay. It won't pay the bills. It will never pay the bills. Well. It, it, you know what I mean? You can't bet on being Walt Whitman. You know what I mean? Like, I can't pay. I don't think pay. it his bills very well. Either. I don't think it did. Um, yeah, so that's and, not. And to jump off of what Bruce said, I do have a day job. I'm a grants professional. I write grants during the day um, and support other people and teach them in writing grants. I'm in a great position because I'm not constantly having to be the guy writing all of the material and pulling the trigger on that. I'm, I'm a supportive uh, I play a supportive role for a large city, but um, I don't 
and I don't, and I'm good at it, and I, and I don't hate my job. I just don't want to do it forever. I don't want to do that all the time. And I woke up one day and I said, oh, all my life since I was a kid, I said I wanted to be a writer, and here I am. I'm a technical writer. That's not what I meant. And so that's when I started writing the novels. Um, I think we have time for maybe one last question. Mine was just quick. I was just going to ask John what his day job is. Uh, I'm a partner at an ad agency, so I'm a, a senior. I, I do art. I do animations, logos, the design, everything. But um, I'm in the process of selling my my, uh, my share in the company and sort of segueing out because I've got some more opportunities that um, like, like being in TV writers' rooms and things like that that I need not be always on call. So um, I'm going to be moving to part-time. And my mom died and she left me a little bit of money. So I've got a little cushion to like really focus on like generating um, more more content. So with that, thank you so much for being here. Thank you to our fine panelists. Everyone's got books in the bookstore. So if you were intrigued by anything we said, or might want to find out more about how we write, please pick up our books, and thank you all. all right. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok Enroll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.